I am Max Verstappen. You won the Austrian Grand Prix. <laughs> oh, this feels good. <laughs> Hi there, this is Christian Horner. Hey, I'm Daniel Ricciardo, and you're listening to the Aston Martin Red Bull Racing Podcast. That's really cool. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Aston Martin Red Bull Racing Podcast. It's the end of the 2018 season and what a year it's been. The final laps have been turned, the last of the flight cases have been sealed and are back at base and after 21 roller coaster races the 2018 Formula 1 season is a wrap. Looking back at the year just gone it's hard to encapsulate what the team has been through over the past 8 months or so but if we were to choose one word to describe it all that word might be bittersweet. We did score 4 wins, a total of 13 podiums, 419 points and 3rd place in the Constructors Championship. We had some of the finest moments the team has experienced in F1's turbo hybrid era. This also marks the end of Daniel Ricciardo's Red Bull racing journey for now. On this very special edition, we'll speak to him exclusively about all of his experiences over the years. We'll check in with Max Verstappen about his very successful season. And you know we'd like to introduce you to the other brilliant areas of the Red Bull family. We speak to Red Bull freestyle MTB athlete Matt Jones. We must start with the first part of our Daniel interview though. Steve caught up with him at the factory. So Daniel Ricardo, uh, this is it. Your, your final day with the team. How does it feel? I think it's, it's sunk in. It's, uh, it feels real now. A little sad, I won't lie. We just did a debrief and saw all the team and yeah, watched like a little clip of like my time here at, the, at Red Bull Racing. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I'd say it's sinking in. I've, I've got about an hour and a half drive back tonight. Um, in the car where I'm sure I'll have a moment to myself and yeah, it's been fun. I've enjoyed it. Fair to say, an emotional day at the factory? It's fair to say that, Steve, yes. Yes, one, 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 would, one would say that. One must not protest against that thought and emotion. <laughs> yeah, um, I got a cool gift as well, so... <laughs> no, nah, it's, it's been a strong day. It's so easy and you're so like, I think it's just with sport in general, you're so like driven and you're always thinking about what's next, what's next. And you don't actually often enough look back on how far you've come and what you've achieved and the people around you and all that. And I think, yeah, today was more of a realization of that and like my time here and not just here, but as part of the Red Bull family. So it's, yeah, it's starting to hit home a bit. 11 years with the Red Bull family. I think I signed the contract 11 years ago and then from the first season, I think it was 10 seasons, but yeah, 11 years since pen to paper, so. Let's take you back right to the very start then, as is your last day. Talk us through that decision to, to make the big step, to, to leave Australia, to pursue your dreams. There was a lot of things which were weird about it in terms of, I wasn't really convinced in my own ability if it's what I wanted to do in general as a, as a career path. Honestly, I didn't really have much affection for airports or airplanes, so. To kind of throw myself into a foreign country and know that I was going to be chasing a life which involved a lot of those things that I wasn't sure about it was weird. Um, I don't know, part of me just feels I was like young and kind of naive and in a way that helped me because I didn't, I think now if I thought about it I would have probably backed away from it if I knew everything about the world that I know now or something. So yeah, probably just being naive and young and kind of immature was probably a blessing in disguise. But. Yeah, I remember there was a lot of late nights in, in the office at home. We had a, an office at the front of the house, or study, whatever you call it, and a room where the computer is. And me, mum and dad would, would spend uh, 
yeah, a lot of late nights there in 2007, trying to, well, beginning of 2007, trying to figure out what the hell to do, and I still don't know how we came to the decision, but anyway. Where I lived made Milton Keynes seem like a five-star destination, trust me. When I moved to Italy, it was, it was grisly. Grisly, putting it very politely. Obviously a lot of long days, a lot of hard work to follow, and then in 2013 you got the call that you'd made Red Bull Racing at the time, obviously one of the most sought-after seats after four-wheel championships with, with Seb. Talk us through that feeling. That was really what it was all about, like, especially since signing the initial Red Bull contract, you know, at the end of 2007, the ultimate target was to build my way up to a Red Bull racing seat, you know, and, and halfway through 2013, when I got confirmation that that seat was going to be mine for, for the 2014 season, that was like, in a way, it was like, I've made it. Like, I've, I've done done what I set out for, and, and now I've put myself in the position with a top team in the top level of motorsport, and it was, it was a relief. And then the rest was, in a way, the rest came easy in terms of, I felt like the hard part was getting there. Then just, once I was there, I felt comfortable, and I was like, all right, now, now I can actually just like, flourish, in a way. Um, but that was, that was massive, that was a massive, um, break and moment and at that time I don't think all the team you know had full belief in me it was there was a bit of a risk you know in choosing me I was still young and hadn't proven a whole lot um, but I knew in my mind I was I was ready so that was all I needed and that first race in Australia must have underlined that for you yeah that was super important you know for me my confidence but for whoever in you know the team didn't quite think I was the right choice that was immediately putting everything to bed and that was really important for getting the team in a way like motivated and excited about me. Um, obviously they were already excited about Seb, he'd proven himself but it was like alright what's this little scruffy curly head kid gonna do and, and that immediately set a statement and I was, it was perfect. Even though we got disqualified after, the whole weekend was still perfect and it, it did, did me wonders. The season that followed obviously was that beyond what you could have ever imagined for your, for your debut year? Yeah, looking back at it, yeah. Like, well, I haven't won three three races in a single season since then. Um, and actually had back-to-back -back wins that year. It was, it was crazy and it was everything. Um, I mean, I think it was Monaco. So what's that, the fifth or sixth race of the year. I qualified third, I beat Seb, but I was filthy because I knew I could have got pole. I, I made a bit of a mistake on my lap and I was like, pole is there. So already like five, six races in to that like debut season with the team, I was already expecting so much of myself. So yeah, that, that year was a chain, changed me completely. And of course the Honey Badger really came to the fore that year and everyone knew your alter ego, you're a great man. We read in the Tribune, uh, Players' Tribune article recently, you know, the, the, the true meaning of the Honey Badger. Remind us, what what is the true meaning? Yeah, I mean, it's, for me, it was. Uh, I always felt like it was. It was perfect, especially in that stage of my career. You know, it's a lot of people, especially at that time, before they really knew what I was capable of on track. It was like I'm the nice guy and you know, cute, cuddly kid. <laughs> but they didn't know that kind of that. I guess hunger and determination, that that real raw fight I have in me. Um, and that was where I felt the honey badger came in. You know, from the outside, if you don't know anything about it, you look at it and you're like, oh, it's kind of, it's just waddling along and it's cute and furry and probably harmless. But uh, 
yeah, once it comes down to the crunch, it's a killer, really. And that was that was where I felt it was there was some real cool resemblance. We won't touch on 2015 too much, but um, we don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> but moving on from there, obviously victories in, in every season. But anything particular that you can really really pick out from those those years since? I mean, 2015, I'll still say, you know, a, a lot happened in 2015. More on a personal level, I think, with, with life. Um, Jules passing, that affected me more than I ever would have thought. And I had a few other things going on in my life at that time, which in a way, like, shaped me now into this kind of next version of who I am. But yeah, that, that weekend, the first race back was Budapest. Um, and that was my first podium of that year. And it was a double podium for the team, and that was. I just remember the whole weekend was very emotional, and but just to get a podium there felt massive, and that was a, just a huge relief and a moment of kind of gratitude and everything, and that was really important. So I'd still say, yeah, 2015, that was that was a really big high to come off such a low, and then yeah, 16, my first pole was achieved, you know, in uh, in Monaco, that was awesome. Uh, I went from, you know, the, at that stage, one of the biggest highs of my career to the biggest low 24 hours later with, with the pit stop stuff and the, the race win getting away from me. Um, but then I got, I got it back. Later that year, I got my win back in Malaysia, which was a, a good battle with Max. And then two years later, I got my win back in Monaco. So yeah, many, many cool highs and moments along the way. Did that moment in 2016 make what happened this year all the more sweeter? Yeah, it did. I know I, I didn't think it would. Like from that day in 2016, I was, I still believed I'd win Monaco. Like, so I knew it wasn't going to be my only chance, but in my head, I was like, when I do win, I'm not really going to care. I'm going to be like, well, I should have won this already. So screw this, like should be two, not one. Having that heartbreak a few years ago and getting it and in such kind of dominant fashion, leading every session made, made it really sweet. And seeing everyone around me, seeing all the people gathered around the pool and like how many people were happy for me that was that kind of made it feel more real and satisfying as well and it wasn't exactly the easiest race for you either did the uh, that, that honey badger spirit come out once again that race yeah yeah it, it sucked the honey badger came out in a different way yeah it just wasn't fun it wasn't fun it was only until probably 10 laps to go that i was like all right like no one is taking this from me but up until then, there was just a, too much going on for me to kind of think about the win. I was just trying to survive at that stage. But then, yeah, there was a few laps to go. I think Simon, my engineer, came on the radio and said something to me. He still sounded a bit concerned. And at that stage, I was convinced I wasn't gonna lose. And I just said, I got this, buddy. And yeah, that was maybe five laps to go. And I was like, no one is taking this. I'll push my car across the line, but I just had that attitude at that stage. We won't dwell on the rest of the season, but yeah. just to put that into some kind of perspective, would you say that that time with the team is the most difficult you've had with any five seasons here? Yeah, it, it certainly has been. Um, you know, this year's been, I thought 2015 was challenging, you know, on and off track. Um, but this year's been the most. Um, the on-track stuff's been more challenging than, than ever. Also just other things like figuring out, a, a lot of people, like, in a way like bless them, they've been trying to help, but also just trying to figure out who's really trying to help and who's not. And there's just been a lot of other stuff, you know, it's just, I know in the long term and my good friends around me tell me this, they're like, it's, it's all part of the story and it's all gonna shape 
you know, a, a beautiful ending one day. So, um, yeah, I believe that. It, it sucks for the time being, but uh, I, I believe that. Quick fire round, uh, your best race for Rebel Racing? Budapest, 2014. Best overtaking your time with the team? <sighs> one of them that stands out is certainly Monza with Seb. The overtake, the calculation, the risk and reward, and it was on a teammate. I don't know if many people would probably even try that because of the, let's say, risk involved. But yeah, Monza with Seb in 2014, that was a sweet one. The ultimate highest moment in the five seasons here. <laughs> yeah, Monaco, Monaco. And that, that high literally lasted, let's say the drinking went on for about four days, but the high, just like literally waking up in the middle of the night and just like, wowing was i want to say like seven eight days yeah that was cool and the lowest i'm going to say austin austin 2018 it just hit me that that race it really got me it was a combination i had friends there and i wanted to enjoy my time with them but i just i couldn't snap out of it i was just so down and it wasn't a cool place to be in but i guess it's because i care your favorite radio message to simon <laughs> Uh, understood. <laughs> we would say understood so much. If he would say something like stupid or really long, or just reply understood. Or if I would say something, he'd just like understood. We actually, a few races ago, we did something we'd never done before in our five years together. And that was, I'd come on the radio and called a move before I'd done it. So in Brazil, we came out the last corner. I was behind Bodas for so many laps and I was finally what I thought close enough so I just came on the radio, I said, I'm going, I'm going this time or something. And Simon replied straight away, like, let's have him. And uh, I got like halfway down the straight, I was like, I'm still pretty far away. But I was like, I can't not do it because I told the whole world I'm doing it. So uh, I went for it and pulled it off, but that was cool. I was, a little bit of cockiness felt, felt nice. One song to sum up your five seasons. Lyrically or just, just a good song? Just one that might have followed you for your time here yeah. or might just perhaps underline it for you. Just go Line of Sight by uh, Odessa. I listened to that a lot on the grid. Um, it was just always a song that made me happy and loose before a race. And I felt like it worked for me for, for a while. And uh, yeah, it's a good kind of montage song. If I look back on like old photos and of my time here, that's, that's nice music to listen to. So we'll go with that. Nice one, guys. We'll hear more from Daniel soon as we bid him farewell. It's been a pretty good season for our other boy, Max Verstappen, with 249 points, fourth place in the Drivers' Championship, two wins and 11 podium finishes, including five in a row to close out the campaign. 2018 has undoubtedly been Max's most successful season to date. Tom caught up with him after the last race in Abu Dhabi to get his thoughts on how it all played out. You know, this season has been a, a challenging one initially, but then it, it definitely came on, it came on and, um, you know, we had some really great results. So very happy about that. But of course, every year you're, you know, you depend a lot on, on the car you get and the package you get. So I'm confident that I can do um, again next year a good, a good, you know, in general good result. And um, yeah, we just have to wait and see how good we're going to be initially. But um, I'm very confident in the team that we we can build a great car again. And then, of course, with the, our new partner, Honda, you know, it's going to be uh, definitely very exciting. What would you say has been the most satisfying race of the year for you? Uh, obviously, you had your two victories, but is there, are there any other races that stood out for you as like being really satisfying? Austria, 
That was a great win, but just the whole race, I think we had good pace and we really maximized the result. Um, Singapore was good. Um, you know, I had a few podiums where, like in France, I think it was a good result as well. Just good pace uh, overall. You know, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I guess also Canada was was a good one. But USA, I mean, starting in the back and then uh, still coming, you know, to the podium in, in second. Uh, yeah, and still fighting for the win as well. That was definitely a, a really good good feeling. You've had two and a half years with that loud Australian next door. Is there anything that you'd say that Daniel has taught you on or off the track? I think what's really nice to see is that Daniel is always, uh, in general, a very positive person and he's always smiling and it's it's good atmosphere to be around him, you know? So it's better than always have a grumpy teammate or, you know, who doesn't really speak a lot to you. So I think that's, not a new way, not maybe a lesson, but um, yeah, just having a good atmosphere in the team is very important. So for sure, I'll take that on board and uh, I'll try to create that with, with Pierre as well. What will you miss least, the singing or the farting? Uh, both, actually. <laughs> and just looking ahead to next season as well, you know, there's quite a few changes. Aero, new engine partner. A lot of people are already talking up this Honda partnership, but in reality, do you think you need to sort of drive the car, you know, will it be untesting for the first time before you're going to set any real expectations? Absolutely. Um, of course, it all looks very promising, but we have to wait and see until we go onto the track um, next year in, in Barcelona. So for me, at the moment, what is the most important is that I'm, you know, ready and, and fit to, to drive the car once it's ready. Well done, Max. We can't wait to see what's in store for you in the 2019 season. Now, with these podcasts, we want to start to introduce you to the team behind the car. We have a series called 60 Seconds With, and this week we'd like you to meet Callum Nicholas. I'm Callum Nicholas, and I am the power unit technician. Essentially, my job is to oversee the build and service of the power unit and all of its ancillaries, so cooling systems, uh, pipe work, exhausts. At the factory, my role is to liaise with our production team to ensure that parts are ready for the forthcoming race. A lot of the parts that I deal with, although they have a maximum race life, they will also have a service life that's a lot smaller, so each of those parts has to come back to the factory for service before it can be reintroduced to the race pool. In terms of engine build, I work on both cars. You don't know when you're going to run into an issue that needs quickly sorting. My job is to sort of dive in wherever that's required. I'm part of the pit stop crew throughout the weekend. Both car crews are taken into one to form one pit stop crew. Anything you do, you want to sort of work at the pinnacle at the highest level, and I kind of enjoy that challenge. Great to meet Callum there. Such an important role. Now, Daniel Ricciardo isn't just one of the most talented drivers in the Formula One paddock. He's also extremely well known for his personality. We thought it was only right to run down our top five Daniel press conference moments. You're going to love this. We've got to start with how Daniel likes to treat his car. It's very unique. Here it is at number five. I do a lot of things with my driving style, which are very nice to the car. I actually talk to it a lot during the race. Um... I massage it. I wouldn't call it foreplay, but it's something like that. Um, and Max is young, he's aggressive, he goes straight in, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite niche. Now, Dan has made a new craze in the sporting world. The great and the good in Formula One have been drinking out of their shoes for years, so it has to be the shoey at number four. Most of the last ones have actually come from the interviewees, if you call them. They've been wanting to do it. I, I honestly didn't plan on doing it. In, even Baku, I was like, ah, oh, I won't do it. DC took my shoes off 
and then uh, Austria. Martin was like frothing for it, so <laughs> I was like, I, f I feel like there's some real sick that's <laughs> around here. <laughs> I never thought it would continue like this. Like even yesterday, people were shouting it. I'm just like walking along minding my business and they're like, do a shoey. I'm like, I don't actually just take my shoe off while I'm walking in the street and drink out of it. So I feel like I dug a hole for myself with this one. At three, he's also starting to become famous for his accents, but he doesn't always get it right. Well, firstly, uh, top of the morning to you, Graham. And, uh, <laughs> Oscar. <laughs> he had a bit too much champagne. That's the problem. Champagne and his foot juices. I don't know. So sweat and champagne is a bad mix, I think. Viva Scotland. But he can get it very right sometimes. His American accent is at number two. I mean, currently they don't have obviously uh, an American driver, so we can do our best <clears throat> to put on an accent and, and fill those boots. I mean, I mean boy, I, I can try all I can. I don't know how, how these boys can do it, but uh, I'll give it a red hot crack and uh, see how we go. You know what, that's actually not that bad. And at number one, Daniel is well known for his optimism. Here he is alongside Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton. You know, I mean, between us all, we've got eight world titles, so it's pretty good. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, obviously we, we want nine, so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo, ever the optimist, and that's why we love him. Right, we'll hear more from that exclusive Daniel Ricciardo chat very soon. First, we'd like to introduce you to another area of the Red Bull family. Tom caught up with Red Bull freestyle MTB athlete Matt Jones at the factory. So we're here with freestyle mountain bike star Red Bull athlete Matt Jones. Matt, you're also like a local boy here to um, us here at the factory. Um, is this your first time here at the factory? It's not my first time here, actually, but... Given that I live sort of 200 metres away, I'd expect to have kind of been here more. Well, not expect, but it's so local. I pull out of my house and drive past this every morning, drive past it again coming home. But I don't know it really. I've, I've done a factory tour only last week and it was awesome. That was really cool. First time doing that. But no, it's, this is kind of new ground for me exploring in here. Obviously, we would have taken you around and we showed you all the former F1 cars that we've got in our new uh, MK7 facility over there. What was it like having a look at all those cars up close and personal? Yeah, MK7's insane. I didn't even know it existed as a facility, but you've got everything laid out in there, haven't you? All the iconic cars, dated. Seeing them together is so weird and the progression, the different liveries. It's so cool, that was un unreal, yeah. So we did mention that you live nearby and, and last year it was a pretty big year for you. You did your first like major filming piece with Red Bull and, and it was actually, was that just in the forests uh, nearby the factory here? Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that? Okay, so yeah, what we're talking about was Frames of Mind, which was my first big Red Bull video project, which went amazingly. I did like world's first tricks that haven't been done before in the mountain bike world and all at quite a local environment for me. So these woods, we're in, Coldicott in Milton Keynes, but Woven Sands, the woods right next to here, is where I grew up racing, riding, just doing jumps on bikes, and that's where we built this project, which is really cool. It kind of brought everything full circle, so the showpiece for what I've kind of worked towards my whole life was where I grew up riding, which is quite interesting. It's like unique for me. I've ridden all over the world, but riding close to home and doing stuff that was new for me, but new for the world to see was, was such a cool opportunity. I suppose as a, as a freestyle mountain biker, you know, watching that video frames of mind, you know, you were very like um, creative in, in the way you were saying that you were like picturing the way you wanted to do tricks and stuff. When you like walk into a facility like this or in an urban environment or anywhere, is your mind constantly thinking like, oh, what tricks I could do here? Like I could jump off that ledge or what could I do? Is that something you were thinking about while you were walking around the factory? <laughs> 
proper interesting question that and something I don't get asked too often, but I think it's so true what you've just said. I can't ever switch off from that mode of visualizing riding my bike or finding weird and wonderful features amongst just environments like this. We're in a factory, there's so many cool different levels, surfaces, platforms, and I'm always like kind of exploring options. Even though I was just immersed in cars and F1 and Red Bull, you still can't help but kind of slip out of, oh, that could be rideable, or you could definitely jump off there. Is that too high? Like stuff like that. It's always going on in your mind. And I think that kind of addiction is part of why I carried on riding bikes and why I'm where I am. But no, I think, imagine riding in here. Has anyone <laughs> ever brought a bike in here? I don't think so, mate. Maybe one day we'll have to let you loose in here. That would be cool. Two wheels, eh, around the factory. And, mate, just finally, like, uh, what's what's next on the horizon for you? Like, what have you got planned for um, for next year? So right now we're in my off-season, so I'm doing a lot of kind of my own video content stuff, YouTube. But next year's big. It's the contest season again, what we call Crankworks. They're the main freestyle mountain bike events. So I'll be kicking that off in New Zealand around March, April time. So I've still got a few months to figure out some new stuff because the sport's progressing so fast. There's just almost weekly you see new tricks, new variations of tricks being done by effectively what are my competitors. So it puts the pressure on, but I'm loving it, man. It's just good to be close to home again, spending some time at my compound, which is local, learning tricks, riding bikes, and coming here for a tour and to kind of see all this was just a massive treat. I'm really into my cars. I'd, I'd call myself a petrol head. So F1's the pinnacle of that. So to get a tour was, I'm, I'm really lucky. Such a unique experience, so thank you. No worries. Well, like you say, you're just around the corner, so you're welcome back anytime. Thanks for chatting to us. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Nice one, chaps. We're almost done, and we'll be back in the new year with some more exciting episodes. But after five seasons and precisely 100 races, Daniel Ricciardo has hung up his famous blue overalls and is heading off to pastures new in 2019. We want to thank him and wish him all the luck in the future. Not too much luck, of course, but it feels only right to give him the final word on the podcast. This is part two of Steve's exclusive chat at the factory. Uh, it all obviously ended in Abu Dhabi last last Sunday, an, an emotional send off in the garage uh, before the race. Is, is that the moment where it really started to get real? Yeah, it, it did. But I, I also had to try and hold myself back a bit because I knew I was about to race. And I felt like if I completely absorbed it all and, and got, let's say, emotional, it, it might, may have not been the best thing before a race, so I, I kind of, I definitely appreciated it, but I tried to still stay focused and, and kind of have the race at the forefront of my mind. But um, yeah, I mean, it was like, it was cool. I saw my parents there and mum, of course, was crying and yeah, it was, it was cool to have them there and it was really nice touch what, what the team did for me. After you know, some of the low points this year, you, you've been seen to go back down to the garage and, and, and see the crew that, that you work with every year. Is that, firstly, what was the reason behind that? And secondly, is it that camaraderie that really pulls you through uh, some of those times? I feel it's certainly important because at the end of the day, yes, I'm in the spotlight, I'm in the car, but you know, everyone working, especially you know, like the guys in the garage, they, they're as heartbroken as me and they've worked as many hours, if not more than me over the course of the race weekend. So, you know, sometimes I've literally just wanted to get out and go and hide. But um, yeah, fortunately, most times I do still know where my heart is and, and think about them. And Mexico was tough. That was two on the bounce, which were pretty brutal. And um, I went in the garage to see the guys and kind of felt like we were all in the same position. So we all needed to like hug each other, you know? It wasn't like, screw you, you didn't do this for me. You, like. We were all hurting and it was all, you know, none of our fault kind of thing. So we all uh, just went in and yeah, there was a few 
a few grown men tearing up, um, just heartbroken. So it's important, I think, just to keep that. And, and I do, I have a great, great relationship with the guys. Leaving the team, you know, those little things are hard because like, oh, what about those guys? Like, I'm not going to have them anymore. And those good times and those dinners we'll have and those laughs and yeah, you, you've got to put it to the side, but it's, it's hard. It really is. You, you build awesome relationships. And of course, you won't be far away next season, just next door. Be uh, popping in for a Red Bull from time to time. I'm pretty stoked that uh, Renault got fourth, and, and obviously with Red Bull in third, our, our garages will be alongside each other. So, yeah, I'll still uh, I'll still get my caffeine dose for sure. I mean, Red Bull's been awesome to me, and yeah, I'll always um, you know keep keep that part of me uh, close. And yeah, if he's offering, then I'll I'll take one. So yeah, I'll, I'll pop in for sure. From crew to teammates, you know, you look to have built a, a really strong bond with, with Max as well over, over the years. Will that continue, do you think, now, now you're no longer teammates? I think it will. Maybe even better, because you're kind of not as direct competitors, in a way. Um, we'll see, un unless unless we're battling for the same bit of tarmac, um, that could always spice things up. But I'll say the relationship with Max and myself went better than, I'll be honest, than I thought it would go. Just our personalities and our... I think our self-belief, you know, I, I really believe he thinks he's the best in the world and, and I believe I am, so that can obviously clash, but we always manage to, at least 99% of the time, manage to keep that, I don't know, just in its own little place, so it was cool. It was a good, uh, good hard fight with, with him and, and enjoyed it. Did he get you a leaving present? Not yet. You get to an age, you don't really expect presents anymore. I mean, Max, if you're listening, if you want to give me one, sure. Um, but otherwise it's all good. I won't take it personal. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just to end the interview here, um, everyone on their last day in the office must make a speech. So uh, take it away. Oh, alrighty, here we go. You got to put me on the spot here. Firstly, I'm happy and comfortable with, let's say the situation and, and the terms, let's say I'll leave the team on. I'm not leaving with my head down. I'm not leaving with any broken relationships or anything like that. You know, I, I leave proud and I feel like I've given the team my all and, and I, I feel I've had that in return, you know, I never felt uh, anything less than that. So, you know, that's something I'm, I'm certainly happy and comfortable with. And I think on both sides, you know, it, it's been a beautiful relationship and uh, for now it's it's gonna go off and do its own thing. But um, I just thank, I thank Red Bull, the brand, for really getting behind me at such a young age. You know, that, that's the reality. Um, sure, my, my dad helped me out as a kid, but he couldn't have got me to this level, you know, with, with himself and a, and a few friends as much as they would have wanted to. So having Red Bull, you know, that their support getting me here, that's something I'll never forget. And that's, that's a, a big reason, uh, the biggest reason why I'm able to make a career out of this, you know, my dream job. So they're a massive part of getting me to reach many memories, many of my dreams. Uh, so that's been awesome. And, and Red Bull Racing here, it's it's been, it's been fun, you know, it's unfortunately, I think I touched on earlier, it's not until you look back and realize how much you've done, even off track, you know, how many cool things you've done, you're like, oh wow, like, actually, it was a pretty cool time. And, you know, in a sport that can be very professional and, and sometimes a little bit too professional, let's call it, um, I feel the team's always made us feel like we can do what we want and allowed us to kind of run free and I really respect and appreciate that so yeah everyone uh, part of the team at the factory on track just want to say thank you it's been a hell of a ride I really appreciate it and yeah may see you soon
Thanks again, Daniel. All the best for the future. This is Blitz Kids. All I want is everything. Feels only right we end with that for Dan. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the podcast. What an incredible year it's been. We'll see you back in 2019 with more action from the track, paddock and the factory. Until then, take care. We are-